Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. being here with us. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 as we enter a new phase in our study. Brace for impact. Brace for impact. Let me ask you, have you ever been taken in by a salesman who was so good and sold you more than you really could afford? You ever fallen for that trap? They're just so sly and slick and before you know it, you bought something that you really didn't need. It wasn't what it was meant to, or what it was sold as, or you just bought more. Or maybe you've had ever, uh, maybe you've had someone who was proclaimed to be your friend wind up taking advantage of you. They exploited you for their own purposes. I'm sure many of us living any type of life have probably experienced that. The question just comes, how do you tell the difference between something that is genuine and something that's counterfeit? That's what Peter's talking about here as he's telling these eclectic exiles in Asia to brace for impact. We ended chapter, we ended chapter 1 of, cha- of 2 Peter last week with Peter's command for Christians to pay attention to scriptures until the day of Christ, until he returns Until that day, we are to trust the word of God, recognizing that it was written and correctly interpreted by God and God alone, inspired by God. It is not up for our own interpretation, but that of God. Knowing that the false teachers will adopt the strategy of their father, Satan. Until that day, you and I must courageously protect the scriptures, for there will be those who will minimize it. We learn that we must vigorously submit to the scriptures in our lives for those will be there, there will be those who will dismiss it and reject the truth of scripture. We must faithfully entrust the scripture to others and to the next generation for there will be those who will neglect it. And we must correctly interpret the scriptures for there will be those who will misuse it and abuse it. But now as we go into chapter 2, it begins a new section that deals with the method, the character, the judgment, the behavior of the false teachers. The first chapter functions as a reminder to remain in the apostles' teaching, while this second chapter that we're about to open up to functions as a warning to believers and to the churches. Peter makes it clear why they needed reminders. You need to combat the false teachers are coming. In this chapter, Peter will be dealing with the second objection of the false teachers. You might remember the first one was, you apostles made it all up. They denied that Christ would return in power. Their second objection is that there is no day of judgment. There is no day of reckoning. So let's, with that, let's read 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. Peter writes, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destructions. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, 
and the destruction is not asleep. So, Father, again, as we open your word, I pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds. Lord, let us to be able to focus for the next 20 to 30 minutes on what you have for us. Keep distractions at minimum. Lord, keep us in our seats attuned to the Holy Spirit that we may respond to his work as we explore scripture, as we see what you have for us, recognizing that this is relevant for us today. This warning is for us as well as we sit here open to this book. Father, thank you for Peter. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for the men and women who have faithfully transmitted this to us. And Lord, let us hold it dear in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Peter starts this chapter, as I said before, with a warning about false teachers. He predicts the coming of the false teachers, which are already making their presence known in the churches. He warns them that they need to pay attention, to be alert, to be on the lookout. This echoes the Apostle Paul warning to the elders of Ephesians that's found here in Acts chapter 20, looking at your monitor. He says, pay careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to be care for the church of God, which he have attained with his own blood. Paul would tell these elders, these pastors, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Peter points out that the appearance of false teachers should come as no surprise. As he writes, false prophets also rose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. He points out that the prophets of the Old Testament had to deal with false teachers and false prophets who tried to subvert the word of God, misinterpreting the prophecies and reinterpreting the warnings of God to the kings, to the prophets, the priests, and the people of Israel. Peter gives us four simple facts that you and I must recognize about false teachers. First, you'll see this on the screen, is that there will, there will always be false teachers who will abuse and misuse Scripture. So do not be surprised, but be on the alert. It also sees that they come from within, secretly hiding their real intentions. Their teachings will always deny the sovereignty of God. And their rebellious against God will always bring judgment and so what I want to talk with you this morning as we brace for impact, as we look at Peter's warning, what you and I need to rec recognize is that there's three impacts that the false teachers have. And we're going to look at those three impacts. The first one is very simple. The impact on believers who are persuaded by their teaching. The first thing that people that they impact is the believers and the churches. Look at verse 2. Peter warns that there will be many who will follow their sensuality. And in verse 3, he says, they will exploit you with false words. Later in this chapter, Peter will address the immoral behavior and teachings of these teachers. But here he points out that many will be persuaded and exploited to follow their leads. He's speaking of Christians, those who profess Christ, those that were sitting next to him, parts of their family. Through their insistence that Peter and the apostles were wrong about Jesus coming again, these false teachers are maintaining that Christians can live any way they choose. There will not be a day of reckoning or a day of judgment. 
They would take Paul's words about liberty and they would use that to justify a lifestyle that's contradictory to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Peter has reminded these elect exiles that God has granted to his children to be partakers of the divine nature and that you and I have escaped the corruption of our sinful desires. And our response to this wonderful gift of grace is to make every effort to diligently pursue godliness and holiness until that day that Jesus comes to complete our sanctification from when we move from sanctification to glorification. That is a long journey. Many of you are aware of that. Even this week, there is a struggle fighting sin, fighting the sensuality, fighting the the battle with sin. However, these children of God have been seduced and exploited by false words. When Peter writes false words, he literally means fabricated words. That's what the the phrase means there. It is the false teachers who are guilty of teaching myths, not the apostles that was charged against them in chapter 1. Unfortunately, you and I realize, even in our own lives and our own experiences, that believers can be easily distracted from God's calling and be persuaded to follow after our former passions. You and I must be alert. We must be faithful in attending to the word of God and the power it has to transform our lives. Those of us who, if you profess Christ, if he comes in your heart, he does transform your life. You cannot continue in that lifestyle. God knows our tendency to look back to consider the lure of the world and and all it has to offer. Satan, who's like an angel of light, works to paralyze the believer, to confuse them with words that seem to be true and allure them with false promises. We must be alert and pay attention to the impact that these false teachers will have as they try to exploit us by misinterpreting scripture, by alluring us into a lifestyle that is not godly. And Peter warns them that these teachers will come in with their false uh, destructive heresies in secret. Yes, they many times will come and they will enter the church of God with great fanfare, bombastic pronouncements, or promoting clever, clever methods. But in all of this, they will not announce themselves as false teachers or deniers of the Christ. No, they appear and come in with good intentions and maybe even with a well-meaning heart, yet their agenda will become very clear to those that are spiritually alert. They do not come in boldly pronouncing destructive heresies, but they are found offering viewpoints, interpretations, and applications that seem wonderful and fresh. But in reality, they find their root in Satan's attempt to infiltrate the church They espouse their lies in our small groups and Sunday schools, their prayer, our prayer meetings, our private counseling, and even publicly in the pulpit. So you and I must be alert for these fabricated words that are used to exploit us and misinterpret scripture. Peter points out that they can be identified by their behavior, their lack of godly living. They are marked by their sensuality. And many are swayed as they advocate for others to join them in their immoral living. Pastor John MacArthur writes, Peter describes false teachers in detail in this chapter. 
so that Christians would always recognize the, their characteristics and methods. He goes on to say that the greatest sin of Christ's rejectors and the most damning work of Satan is a misrepresentation of the truth and its consequent deception. Nothing is more wicked than for someone to claim to speak for God to the salvation of souls when in reality he speaks for, salvation, or speaks for Satan to the damnation of souls. And we will see that as we continue to go on. In John chapter 8 in that gospel, Jesus would accuse the Pharisees who were false teachers. He says, you are of the devil, the father, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Take your Bible if you would please and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see, their lies will encourage people to lead immoral lives. And they will hear and get an attendance. For people are itching for these things. Turn again, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Looking at verse 1. Paul writing to his young protege Timothy says, But understand this. Then in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They will be proud and arrogant. They will be abusive and disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful and holy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. They will be without self-control, brutal, not loving good, and treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What does Paul say? Avoid these people. You and I need to be alert. We need to brace for the impact that they have. For every church, I believe, will face, the, face these types of impacts, these types of craters as they come in. Seeking to who they could exploit and use for their own agenda. We ourselves in our history, we know very well we have faced this ourselves. We must be alert to these false teachers who bring in false words and ungodly behavior that we may not be seduced or exploited to follow them in their sins. So the first impact is that on the believers and on the church. The second impact is on the gospel itself and the witness of the church and unbelievers. Once you look back at the last part of verse 2, he says, because of them, the way of the truth would be blasphemed. So I've got sub, two subpoints for those of you who might take notes. First is the impact on the gospel and the witness of the church. Underneath that is that the message, because of these false teachers, the message of the gospel is corrupted as people are swayed by destructive heresies. So the message of the gospel is corrupted as people are swayed by the destructive heresies. The early church movement was called the way, as you look and read the, back, the book of Acts. And the gospel itself was known as the way to be saved, the way of the Lord and the way of God. You may recall from our earlier message in our study through 1 Corinthians several years ago, that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, that I deliver to you of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins and in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day uh, in accordance with the scriptures. You see this gospel, this good news that God was reconciling man to himself is predicated, is predicated on the truth that Jesus was the Messiah who came to redeem man from the wrath of God and to redeem man from the curse of sin and the penalty of death by fulfilling scripture in his death, burial, and resurrection. But Paul would also go to state in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But these false teachers are teaching that there's no reckoning, no day of judgment that brings punishment to the wicked and rewards to the faithful. For life goes on, birth, life, and death. So in reality, they're saying there is no life after for you and I. We just, we're just, we just live, we're born, we live, and then we die. However, Paul warns that you and I are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are raised. So Paul says, we would be the false teachers. If Christ died and rose again, then yes, we too will raise with him. The writer of Hebrew warns, there's a point for man once to die, then after this, the judgment. You and I must recognize that there is a day of reckoning. And the gospel is the truth of what that is. You see, the gospel loses all power if death is not swallowed up in victory. Yet scripture tells us that God gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So their destructive heresies of Christ not returning, of no judgment, of no reckoning, their destructive heresies of you do not have to pursue a life of godliness or holiness, that it doesn't matter, leads to the message of the gospel being corrupted. It ceases to be good news. For where's the redemption? If Christ is not raised, then we are not raised. But the opposite is true. If you and I are not raised, then Christ cannot be raised. You and I must understand that destructive heresies come in and they corrupt the message of God in so many different ways. But not only that, not only is the message of the gospel corrupted, but my second sub-point is that the testimony of the gospel is corrupted as people are swayed by sensuality. The testimony of the gospel is corrupted. Peter warns that some people in the church will be swayed by the ungodly lives of the false teachers. You and I must remember that scripture calls us to flee youthful passions and to pursue righteousness. It calls you and I to put to death that which is earthly within you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. He tells us, put off the old self with its practices. It tells us to put off our old self, which belonged to the former, former manner of life. He calls us to cast off the works of darkness, to let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, but to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christians fail to do that, the testimony of the gospel is corrupted. By persuasion and exploitation, their teaching and their behavior leads to an infection that spreads throughout the church. 
Their sensuality defies the believer in the church. Jesus had warned in Mark chapter 7, for from within, from out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft and murder and adultery, sensuality. He says all these evil things come from within and that they defile a person. You and I must recognize that unsuspecting believers are caught up into that trap of sensuality. Young Christians still struggling to come to terms with the call to holiness are confused and led astray. Christ followers who are weary in fighting, looking for help and strength, gladly accept this new teaching as they realize, well, I do not have to battle so strong with sin. Others looking for loopholes in Scripture warm to the idea of returning to their old passions and desires. God just wants wants me to be happy. It is God who made me like this so I don't have to abandon this lifestyle. I can enjoy what the world has to offer. And as you and I are exploited and persuaded, in doing so, the church loses its identity as the children of God. We lose our aim to imitate Christ. We lose our purpose in becoming the aroma of Christ, of living as ambassadors and sharing the gospel. The world looking on responds to it by ridiculing the way of the truth. And they level a charge of hypocrisy, which is well-earned and deserved against God's people when we abandon the pursuit of godliness. This contradicts the very teaching of Jesus and Peter as he wrote in his first letter, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they do speak of you uh, against you as evil doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so the gospel, the testimony of the gospel is corrupted as you and I fall into the temptation that these early followers also Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Not only does it lead to a charge of hypocrisy when we are persuaded to follow back into our own vomit, as he will tell us, of our own sin, it also leads to the destruction of the professing Christians into the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul warned this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. These destructive heresies and lives of sensuality lead to the corruption of the gospel that leads to a charge of hypocrisy. And let me tell you, this leads to the destruction of souls. Look at this. We have churches today. We have pastors and theologians who will make it a case that the Bible says that same-sex marriage is okay, that homosexuality is okay. That, that all types of, of gender bending and everything else is okay. The Bible says it's okay. 
They misinterpret, they reinterpret, they abuse the scripture and many because of their emotion and because of their desire to love their brothers and sisters and many times their children are persuaded by this. And those who are fighting these sexual desires and these same-sex desires are then caught up in it and says, good, I have relief. And all may seem fine and dandy. Let live and let live or whatever that phrase is. Live and let live. But we're leading people to the gates of hell. The gospel, the message, the testimony of the gospel is lost. We may say, well, that's their lifestyle. Let them make their mistake. But it cannot be so. So I share here at OVBC, we must be careful. And we say, but yet at OVBC, we understand that. Why are we even talking about today? Well, because I know that I'm not the only voice you listen to. It's not just Dustin who teaches you. It's not just Randy and Landon. We all have podcasts and video that we watch from other pastors and other teachers. We're influenced by the, by the opinion and by the Supreme Court and other things, the political culture that's going on. And we find churches after churches, people after people, falling to this lie. And the message and the testimony of the gospel is corrupted by the destructive heresies and the sense to sensuality. The impact on themselves is the third one. So not only an impact on the believers in the church and on the testimony of the gospel and to the world, but also the impact on themselves as judgment leads to destruction. Peter writes that the false teachers are bringing upon themselves swift destructions in 1 through 3, and that their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The charges just in these first three verses are that they secretly bring in destructive heresies, they deny Christ, they, have li they live lives of sensuality, they blaspheme the way of truth, and they have a greedy exploitation of God's people. These self-centered false teachers subtly contradict the word of God to their own destruction. Jesus had warned in Matthew 24 that many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. For false prophets and false uh, Christ will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Paul will warn Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, then in the later times, some will depart by the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of de the demons. He writes through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require absence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. They are like the false teachers of old whom the prophet Zephaniah declared, they are fickle, they are treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy and they do violence to the law of God. Now we have already addressed the impact of their destructive heresies and of their sensuality and their blasphemy and their exploitation. I want to just take a moment to, take a, to look at the charge of denying the master who bought them. The word deny means to disclaim, to disown, to renounce, decline, refuse, and contradict. Pastor MacArthur writes that this phrase exposes the depth of the crime and guilt of these false teachers. 
This Greek word for master or Lord appears 10 times in the New Testament, he writes. And it means one who has supreme authority, whether it's human authority or divine. What Peter here is warning is that false prophets deny the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not the boss of me. I do not have to submit to the teachings and the call of Christ. Oh, I'll I'll take his salvation, but he's not the Lord of me. Though their heresies may include the denial of the virgin birth, Pastor MacArthur writes, the deity, the bodily resurrection, the second coming of Christ, and the false teacher's basic error is that they will not submit their lives to the rule of Christ. And And I'm afraid to say that there may be some here today in the same way you want the salvation of Christ you want to go to heaven and you want to get out of hell but you truly don't want to submit to Christ we even created phrases for this well I accepted Jesus as my savior but I didn't make him the Lord of my life until 10 years later that's hogwash it's both together Jesus says, believe on me, but in the same way, deny yourself, take your cross and follow me. You just can't take him as savior and say, well, I'm going to live my life the way I want. And several years later, I'm going to go ahead and take him as Lord. The scripture knows no such fallacy. But yet we've created that. We've created the carnal Christian as if we're a fiction in John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. There's no such thing. And you and I must understand that. I'm afraid that it's not so much false teachers that are coming in here, but you may be already setting right here this morning for what is your behavior. You may not be teaching destructive heresies, but in your lifestyle, it's marked by sensuality and sexual immorality in your entertainment and in the things that you do, the things you think of, the things that bring you joy and hope the way you spend your money. And it may not, again, come from the pulpit or from some classroom or some lectern. It could come in the way in which other people see how you live, the world, your friends, your coworkers. It might be the way that you try to give counsel to someone here privately. So false teachers are not always sitting here in a suit. Could be you. And so we're called here today not only to be alert from that from within and from without, but also from ourselves that we not be exploited to walk down that path ourselves. You see, this denial of the sovereignty of Christ over their teaching and over their life demonstrates, listen to this, it demonstrates that they are not truly believers. They may may profess that they accepted the works of Christ who has bought the redemption of God's people, but in their hearts they have displayed themselves to be liars. Jesus has promised, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge for my Father in heaven. Let me tell you, that's not only by your mouth, the confession of your mouth, but it's also by the living of your lives as you pursue holiness and godliness. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus warned, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. So could you take stock this morning? How does your life mark you out? 
I will encourage you and challenge you as we read 2 Peter chapter 2, you and I are going to become uncomfortable. I already have become uncomfortable. My prayer life has increased as I read this chapter, not expecting the brick against the wall, the, the impact as I examine my own life and own heart and the motivation of my heart. One pastor notes that obedience from the heart is that which distinguishes a genuine Christian from a mere professing one. The impact of their denial as Jesus as Lord of their life will not go unanswered. You and I look and there are many men and women who are parading themselves as teachers of God's law, but yet we know they're false. We see their greed. We see their exploitation of others. We see their lifestyle and we know they're false teachers and we wonder how do they get an audience why do they seem to prosper? The Old Testament Proverbs, why do the wicked prosper? Where is justice? Why does God not shut them down? Let me tell you this, this is guaranteed. Judgment will be rendered by a holy God who will judge the living and the dead. There will be a day of reckoning. The expression on their face and the fear that will envelop their mind and heart as they stand before a holy God will just paralyze them. Justice will be done. They will not get away with the rebellion against God, nor shall you. This guarantees their destruction. It is not idle. It may not be right now, but it is active. It guarantees their destruction. Let me tell you, they will not have an advocate to plead their case before a holy God. But yet those who make every effort to diligently to add to their faith, those things that we learned in 1 Peter or 2 Peter 1 will have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the one who will plead our case before a holy God and say, he is one of me, is one of mine. She is one of mine. They will not escape it. Jude, the brother of Jesus, or James and the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. But what does this warning say to you and I today? Well, it's the same message for you and I as it was for them. Be alert. Pay attention. Be aware of false teachers, for they silently creep in, distorting the word of God, exploiting the children of God for their own selfish, greedy purposes. You and I would do well to watch out for these people, to avoid them. Scripture warns us, do not be led astray by those who would encourage you to continue to follow the very passions of the flesh that you and I were delivered, you delivered from. In the same way, I would say for you, Christian, if you profess Christ, pursue godliness. Do not find yourself in the condemnation of God as your lifestyle and behavior betrays your heart and your confession. I'd like to leave you with the wise words of Paul written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. And I will say it, a famous portion of scripture. Verses 11 through 14, it's here on the monitor. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, 
for the building of the body of Christ until you and I all attain to the, or, uh, all, uh, sorry, till we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, stature of the fullness of Christ so that, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let us be alert. With every head bowed and every eye closed. So worship team comes up. God wants you to understand this. Would you please listen? God wants you to understand that God will, or Satan will attempt to destroy the message and the testimony of the gospel through false teachers. God wants you to believe that he has given us his word, elders, pastors, and teachers to guard and protect his people. The church is collected so that we may protect one another. God wants you to desire to grow in holiness, to become more like Christ and stable in your faith, to grow in faith. God wants you to be alert for false teachers, to submit to the authority of God's word, and to grow in your faith. Would you do so this morning as we take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray, and to respond to the Holy Spirit? Would you take a moment this morning? For you are a good God. And you have given us 2 Peter chapter 2, 1-3 so that we may be alert, so we may be on the lookout. Father, I pray that you would strengthen each and every one of us, that we, may true, um, that we may prove and test our profession of faith. Let us not fall into the trap of following after the sensuality of this world. Father, that we would understand and know your word, that we may be able to identify the counterfeit. Father, let us be a church that challenges and encourages each other. And Father, through this church, through its ministries and its mission, and through our lives as we go forth from here, may we do justice to the message and the testimony of the gospel that it may not be corrupted. Let us hold on to it as of first importance. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.